In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In a moment, everything changed. In a moment, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, likely also the mother of Jesus, and Salome went from approaching a tomb with one question in their mind, who will roll away the stone, to fleeing the tomb with different questions altogether. Now, social study teachers will try to you know, motivate their students by pointing out that history is more than just names and dates, more than just particularities. History is taking all those facts and telling a story, you know, the most accurate account you can give about how things happened over a period of time. Today, though, isn't a history, but a moment in history. Today, we zero in on a single moment, one single historical fact, the empty tomb. Or as the angel tells the women, he has been raised. He is not here. It is this single thing that everything else is built upon. Our faith does not rest on a series of philosophical propositions. We don't start with a revolutionary idea and then build Christianity upon it. Don't get me wrong. To be a Christian in order to follow Christ with our hearts, souls, and minds, we have to engage in the world of ideas. Our theology, our ethics are an incredibly important as we discern what it means to be faithful to Christ. But all of what it means to be Christian is built on this. He is risen. All of history turns on this fact. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. The world would never be the same. What happened was not just the good news of good feelings, the triumph of the self, or the power of positive thinking. The place where Jesus' body lay the place where it seemed like death had won was now empty, just like death's victory. Stanley Hauerwas puts it this way, the Bible finds uninteresting many of our modern preoccupations with whether or not it's still possible for modern people to believe. The Bible's concern is whether or not we shall be faithful to the gospel, the truth about the way things are now that God is with us through the life, cross, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. At first, the empty tomb is baffling. Now, the angel did, does remind the women that they will see Jesus just as he told you. And Jesus did tell his followers that he had to suffer, die, and then come back. But they didn't understand then. And on Easter morning, they're recovering. The horror of Good Friday, of watching their friend and teacher be crucified and then burying him, meant that the women understandably walked into that tomb without any anticipation of what was in store for them which explains why they were both amazed and terrified. There's a unique challenge when we read the resurrection account from Mark's gospel, because the best manuscripts that we have end where our reading ends today, the jarring ending with the women fleeing in fear. Now, there might have been a different ending that was lost, but the longer ending we have now, which you'll find in double brackets in most modern Bibles, is probably a later edition. Likely a scribe realized, this is not the end of the story, we need a little bit more and probably compiled something based on oral tradition. And yet, this shorter ending is a bit of a gift to us. Because while it doesn't give us the details of what happens after the resurrection, some of those post-resurrection stories that we get in the other Gospels, it does invite us to ask the question, what next? Of course, the question isn't totally open-ended. First, we know that Peter, the one whose denial of Jesus is highlighted in the Gospels, gets to hear the good news that he is risen. The angel says, go tell my disciples and Peter. His betrayal doesn't put him beyond the good news of the resurrection. 
The women who were faithful to Christ to the end will speak the good news to the other disciples who weren't, reminding us that no matter where you have been or what you have done, all are welcome to worship the risen king. Which is exactly what Peter discovers later in the book of Acts. His statement that we read this morning, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. This is in response to Cornelius, a member of the occupying Roman force who wanted to turn and worship the crucified and resurrected Jewish Messiah. Imagine Peter's surprise. Jesus had been clear that his mission was to preach to the lost sheep of Israel. But in our reading from Acts, Peter recounts this fact. Jesus preached his message throughout Judea after the baptism that John announced, and they witnessed his actions in Jerusalem and Judea. But then, to Peter's surprise, Jesus asks him to forget his categories of clean and unclean, chosen and unchosen people, and invite the whole world to follow him. After his resurrection, Jesus would send his disciples out, not just to preach this good news to the people of Israel, but to all people. Sure, there were hidden clues along the way, There was the daughter of a Roman official that Jesus healed and a Gentile demoniac living in a graveyard on the far side of the Sea of Galilee whose legion of demons are cast out. There's a Samaritan woman who's offered living water. But what was made clear in the shock of the resurrection wasn't just the fact that Jesus was alive again or what his defeat of death meant for Israel, but that the impact of the resurrection would continue to have aftershocks and reverberations that echoed far beyond the people and places his disciples expected. Saul, who persecuted Christians, would become one of their most prominent missionaries. The Gentiles, hostile to God, to the God of this oppressed people, would be grafted in, new sons and daughters of Abraham, inheritors of the promise, brothers and sisters in Christ. Enemies would become friends, strangers would become family, Existing barriers between gender and social status and ethnicity were torn down, not obliterating cultures or identities, but drawing all nations and all people to become members of the body of Christ, beautiful because of their diversity. Not because of a persuasive new idea, but because Jesus had trampled death and hell under his feet. The implications of Easter Sunday kept on reaching out to new places and inward into the depths of every human heart. There is no place, no situation, where the resurrection of Jesus does not apply. Sin, whether it's systemic or individual, has been defeated. Its ultimate sting, death, has been removed. And a new life, a new kind of life, is ever springing up. The reverberations continue. That isn't to say that we're now called to act as if nothing is still in defiance of the gentle rule of our risen king. In fact, we all know very well that the destructive forces of sin, the deforming work of evil, often finds new ways to manifest. Easter Sunday is not a day to pretend, to pretend as if the world is already fully as it should be. Some of what the resurrection of Jesus offers us is hope, hope that even though we may not see it now, in the end, all things will be fully made right. But right all things will be. Since Jesus has risen from the dead and is now alive, we know that the down payment of the kingdom that is to come has been made. And just as we spent Lent in self-examination to see where sin still persists in our lives, we can know that all of those places, and even more than we can ask or imagine, are being and will be made new. We can walk confidently into this new day because death will not have the last word. Confidence, not that everything will be easy, but that we know it will all be made new, even now. 
There's a, a famous Leslie Newbingen quote from an interview near the end of his life in which he said, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. But I came across a longer quote of his this week that I think says a little bit more. He says, mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. The story of the empty tomb cannot be fitted into our contemporary worldview, or indeed any worldview except one of which it is the starting point. That is indeed the whole point. It is a boundary event, the beginning of a new creation, as mysterious to human reason as creation itself. But accepted in faith, it becomes a starting point for a whole new way of understanding our human experience. This is the good news of Easter, that it is our starting point, the thing upon which everything else finds meaning. We can go out in joy to proclaim to our neighbors, to our friends and family and our enemies and even ourselves that sin and death are being unraveled at their seams and eventually will become nothing. This morning, may we find ourselves filled with the joy of Easter, celebrating that even what we discovered about ourselves in hard examination in Lent has been brought to the cross and that through the resurrection of our Lord is now redeemed, recognizing restoration and renewal, having eyes to see that all things are being made new. May we feel the shock and the aftershocks of the resurrection of the Son of God, continually surprised by the places where his victory can be found. Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. Amen.